0: You are your only advocate. Like, you are the best advocate for your ideas. You are the best advocate for yourself. You are the best advocate for the stuff that you can do, for your potential, for your abilities. And I I think, you know, if I could say one thing to anyone who wants to go into advertising, it's that. But I promise that if you have a purpose and there is a, a reason that just fucking just drives you and it just burns inside of you every single day, because this shit is hard. And if you don't have that purpose, if you don't have that burning fuel inside of you of this, you know, I want to achieve this thing, you won't find success because it'll be so easy to put, but if you know who you are, I promise you will find success.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Passages Podcast. I'm your host, Chloe. I'm the founder of The Passages Project, which is a media project on a mission to empower young professionals to honor, explore, and advance their lives and careers from day one. In today's episode, I have the chance to introduce you to my new friend, an advertising creative, copywriter, and badass entrepreneur, Yesenia or Yesi Downs. Yesi has always been a writer. But as an English major at the University of Florida, she was only given two options for a career path. One was to make money as a lawyer, or two to not make money in the world of film. She decided to choose law and she poured everything into the path and actually really enjoyed it. It was only after being accepted to law school and meeting practicing lawyers that Yesi realized the future ahead was not for her. With the help of a friend and an introduction to the Miami Ad School, Yessie discovered a third career option, copywriting. She dove in again, this time with full confidence in the creative experiences waiting for her on the other side of her program. Yessie now works as a full-time copywriter with the breadth of experience from some of the world's most respected brands and agencies. She's been awarded for her work in the industry and was even named one of Ad Color's 2020 Futures. What I think really makes Yessie a guest to remember and why I'm so excited for you to listen to our conversation today is not only is she super successful in her career and industry, but she's also using her craft for good. As a bilingual daughter of immigrants, Yessie recognized the lack of true inclusion in the advertising industry from day one and decided to take matters into her own hands. In addition to her full-time career, Yesi is making waves in the advertising and brand strategy industries as the founder of Oxford Comma Collective, which is a full-service writing agency on a mission to employ and empower members of BIPOC, queer, female, and disabled communities with the power of words. In today's episode, I sit down with Yesi to unpack her pursuit of copywriting, creativity, and true inclusion in the advertising industry. Yessie shares with me what Miami Ad School was really like, her experience and her advice for aspiring writers and entrepreneurs, and the hard truth behind what sets good creatives apart from great ones. We also discuss tokenism versus true inclusivity in the advertising industry and the vision that's really driving Oxford Comma Collective and Yessie forward. If you are a writer or aspiring writer, curious about the path of a profession in advertising, or passionate about amplifying every voice possible, this episode is for you. Without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Yesi.
0: Hi, my name is Yesi Downs. It's Yesenia Downs, but I go by Yessie. I'm a Nicaraguan American copywriter. Um, I work in the field of advertising. I actually work at FCB Chicago. I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, lived in in Miami almost my entire life until I left to pursue the stream of advertising of mine. And I have always been a creative person. So I think you would naturally think I landed in this creative job, you know, just naturally, but I didn't uh so all of high school I was very creative I was always a writer I was part of the newspaper I was in drama and I wrote plays I was uh part of the tv production and I was in charge of you know the show and writing the news for my school so I was I always knew I loved writing but when I got into college and I think and I don't know if this is for everyone or if it's just for minorities who end up in college but you know you get the the idea that you don't want to be a struggling artist and I I I always wanted to write but it was told to me very early on that if you want to be a writer and you want to make money there's no there's no place for that so I went into I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville and when you go to the University of Florida, the way it works is you either become, you know, if you wanna become an English major, which is what I was, the way it works is you either, you have to pick a track. So you're either a film, you know, you're an English major with a film specificity or with a law one. And again, they tell you, you know, do you want to be a starving artist or do you want to be someone with some sort of success and, you know, financial stability is the way they pitch it to you. So I took the financial stability route as the child of an immigrant, you know, financial stability is what our parents brought us here for. So Um, I went that route. I was pre-law and I was a hundred percent in, you know, I loved writing and there was so much reading and writing involved in law that it just really excited me. And I do, I love politics. I love policy. I love rhetoric. And so much of that was intertwined with being pre-law that I really just dove head into that. And then I graduated And I had applied for my law schools and I had taken my LSAT and I had gotten in. And then, uh, you know, there was some family stuff that happened and I ended up taking some time off from school instead of going straight into law school. I deferred and I gave myself some time to work and help out my family. And what happened in that time is I met lawyers Right. Because you're in school and you have dreams of becoming a lawyer, but you don't meet a ton of lawyers on your day to day. So I started meeting lawyers in this new job that I had. And I found very quickly that lawyers are miserable people, <laughs> you know, and, and and I mean, no, no shade to lawyers, honestly, like, I, you know, I, I don't want to make that like gross Uh, generalization that all lawyers are miserable fucks but realistically the lawyers that I was meeting in the space that I happened to be in were these people who were very wealthy but very miserable and Mm -hmm. they were mean and you can see that they had life had made them hard and I was like wow is that really the future that I want so in that I you know I found myself in this kind of I called it I mean it was a quarter life crisis because I was getting close to 25 but I was like well, shit, (laughs) what do I do now? (laughs) You know, I prepared four years of going to school and preparing to be a lawyer and crafting my skills and becoming a good arguer and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, I was like, well, I don't know what to do. I prepped for this one thing. And I was very lucky that I had someone who was very close to me who happened to work in advertising because honestly, I had never heard of advertising careers in my life. Obviously, we all know advertising exists, but I never, I had never heard of advertising jobs, and I certainly had never heard of copywriting. But luckily, my brother-in-law worked at an advertising agency, and he kind of put me on. He was like, hey, have you thought about uh, going to Miami ad school? And I was like, well, what's an ad school? <laughs> you know, I had no mm-hmm. idea. What ad school even was, what portfolio school was, what copywriting was. So I looked into it a little. And, you know, again, I had that skepticism of like, well, if it's a creative job, the pay is going to be shit. You know, am I going to be, am I, you know, because I always, you always want to tread that line of success and happiness still. So I looked it up and I looked into copywriting and I said, well, let me try it. You know, I, it's either this or nothing right now. So the alternative seemed worse. So I went into Miami at school, they let you, Miami at school lets you sit in and actually like go to some classes before you make the decision to sign up. So I went in and I sat in on a little class called short and sweet and it probably took me 20 minutes. And I think that might be too much, but it was almost instant. I sat in that room and I was like, wow. This is it. <laughs> this is the job that I I should be doing, and the reason for that was because you know, like I said, I've always been a writer, but I was never a I was never a poet. I know it's like taboo to say, but I fucking I hate poetry. Like I know that you know, if you're a writer, you're supposed to love poetry and love all words, but I I I can't get behind poetry. I'm not a poet. Um. And then, you know, I I never wanted to write novels, so I never knew where the kind of writing that I wanted to do existed in the world. And then I sat on this class and I was like, oh, this is it. I mean, it it clicked instantly. Mm -hmm. So that same day I sent in an application and that's where this journey started, you know, and I did my schooling. I did a ton of internships and I moved from the east coast to the middle uh to the midwest and now I, here I am in chicago very happy. You know, that's kind of the trajectory that my career took.
1: In hindsight as I hear you explain that, I feel like I love what you said about, you know, I I wanted to work with words. I just didn't know where that fit. You know, what what kind of words do I want to work with? What what is the context of writing? And what does that mean? And I mean, I am no lawyer. I've never been to law school. I'm also not a copywriter. <laughs> but <laughs> as I hear you explain that, it almost sounds like the, the underlying thread beca- behind what interests you about law and what interests you about advertising is the action that words move through and and, and the reason behind using strong words and using succinct words Um, And powerful words poetry novels and writing in kind of that context it's it's long it's lengthy it's emotional and with copywriting and and legal writing, you kind of have to get straight to the point and it has to matter what you say and how you say it. I, I face writing in, in sort of a PR and communications perspective um, so I can relate to the copywriting aspect, but I love that and I love hearing your path and your thought process behind why you approached school. Um, what was Miami Ad School like just out of curiosity? I feel like I've I've kind of heard, heard about it, um, but I've never talked to anybody one-on-one who's actually been part of the program.
0: Yeah, you know, so... I think there's a lot of mixed feelings about portfolio school in general, right? Like is it mm-hmm. necessary? Because realistically, you're going into this program that you don't get a degree from. And the experience itself is super untraditional. So if you are going in from, you know, a master's program or some degree program at a university into something like portfolio school, it really kind of rocks your world because you're like, "Whoa, this is not the curriculum that I'm used to." And I was also working while I was in school. So for me, it was just like a whirlwind. Mm. But, you know, Miami Ad School for me, the experience of it, I would never give back. Like I enjoyed going to Miami Ad School. I felt like I learned a lot. The way that Miami Ad School works is, you know, you have, it's a two-year program and your first year is all school. You're just learning. And I will say that I I think that for me, the reason that I found some success when I was in Miami ad school is because I came in with an English background already. So I had, I had majored in English. So my, I had already kind of started honing in that craft of, you know, wordsmithing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's super important because what Miami ad school does is they teach you how to work in advertising. They don't teach you how to become a writer and they don't teach you how to be a designer I think and and I think that's where I think a lot of people struggle because you come in expecting to learn mm. you know if I if if I'm not a writer and I go to a school that teaches me copywriting I'm expecting to learn and I think you know depending on who your teachers are and what the curriculum is yes you will learn those things but realistically what they teach us how to work in advertising and how to have an advertising brain and how, and it, it really instills you in that work ethic of, you know, you're going and going and going and pushing work further and being creative and thinking creatively and all that stuff. They kind of help you become an, somebody who can work in advertising. But as far as honing your craft as a writer, I wouldn't say it so much that I got that from Miami ad school. You know, and I, I think I was very fortunate to come in with that. Um, but the experience itself was beautiful because, again, the first half is all schooling. And then the second half is all internships. Mm. So the second year, you're just going from internship to internship to internship. And I mean, that's where the value really is. Right. Because then you're getting real experiences. I, I graduated from school already with a year of experience under my belt because of all the internships. And not just a year of experience, but I had worked in Chicago. I had worked in Miami. I had worked in Japan. Like I got this just breadth of experience of working in all these advertising agencies and big advertising agencies at Ogilvy, at Leo Burnett, at David in Miami. Like you really get that exposure. And I think that that's the benefit of a place like Miami Ad School is those connections and those opportunities and that foresight of like, well, you can keep honing your craft but you can't network. And advertising is very much about who you know. Like, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Advertising is 80% who you know.
1: Wow. That's so fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. Also, you interned in Japan. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) I I sprinkled that in there. Um, I mean, probably the best experience of my life. Mm -hmm. in Japan I if you I say this everybody but if you haven't been to Japan you have to go I mean honestly for those four months only I would go back to Miami at school it makes every penny of debt and (laughs) student loan (laughs) that I took out worth it honestly because you know when you travel to places and you go to Europe and you go to you know certain places like it's beautiful and it's amazing but when you go to Japan it's like a whole different world Mm -hmm. like the culture the people, the places, it's just like any, it's unlike any place I've ever been before. And like getting to work there and work in a different language too, you know, I, as an English speaker going to work at a place where it's, you know, all Japanese, which I did not speak. And I still do not speak. You know, I picked up a few things here and there, which I don't Mm -hmm. remember now, but you know, that experience alone was I mean, amazing. It was amazing. I turned down, I actually had gotten a job offer in advertising and I turned it down because I'm like, no, I gotta go to Japan, which in (laughs) hindsight was so stupid. But you know, like the, I mean, the experience was worth it and I, I don't regret it at all.
1: Oh, I love that. I mean, yeah, global experiences, especially in advertising, I feel like can only boost not only your career, but who you are and showing up in advertising. I love that. So how did, as you got, involved and as you, you know, started a full-time role and got and really dove into to the industry and the, and the field, did the reality of working in advertising match your perception when you were interested in the field? Like what was the reality when you when you really got started as a full-time um, employee in advertising?
0: Yeah, I think that when you're studying advertising, they teach you to think big. They mm-hmm. teach you Think of ideas that are going to change the world. Think of ideas that are going to change behavior. Think of ideas that are people are going to remember 50 years from now. And that's all you think about when you're in school. It's all you think about. And you're like, wow, this is going to be amazing. And then you get into it and you're a junior creative, And all of a sudden, someone says, hey, I need a banner ad. And you are like, this is not what I signed up for, you know? And obviously the The opportunities exist to make the cool work, to make the life changing work. But you know, the day to day is just not that. You're still doing print, and you're doing uh, billboards, and you're doing things like that that are not these grand ideas that are changing the world. But they're it's more of the stuff that people traditionally think about when they think of advertising. You know, and even things that people don't think about when they think about advertising. Like for me, for example, I started my career doing retail advertising for uh, Dunkin Donuts. And I, you know, for a long time, I was like, oh, I didn't even know this was a space Mm -hmm. in advertising. So I think that that kind of was a a nice little wake up call for me very early on being like, oh, okay, so I don't just get to sit around and make cool shit. I have to like, do the boring stuff too. That's cool. Okay. (laughs) You know, and that's a realization I came to. But you know, as you grow in your field and you put yourself out there. And I think that's another thing too. Like, I think you you expect that someone's going to hand you this amazing brief and that Mm -hmm. you're just going to make something cool. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the way it works. Like sometimes you have to find the briefs. Sometimes you have to create the ideas and put them in front of people. I think the one thing with advertising that I've learned throughout my career is that there are no advocates in advertising and I don't mean that in a bad way I just mean that you are your only advocate like you are the best advocate for your ideas you are the best advocate for yourself you are the best advocate for the stuff that you can do for your potential for your abilities and I I think you know if I could say one thing to anyone who wants to go into advertising it's that it's like go in and ask for the work you want make ideas that aren't in the brief and push work and push people to make cool shit because otherwise you're going to spend the first four years of your career just doing banner ads. (laughs) Wow.
1: Yes, uh, it is those sound (laughs) bites that I literally live for. I think on every single podcast, I I freak out over one particular quote. And I mean, that's not the first one, but that's going to be one of them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So for anyone unfamiliar with copywriting um in general as a craft how would you define it and what does it look like and you mentioned banner ads um but as as you've kind of grown through it what what does a copywriter do um and what does that role really look like in the marketing and advertising industry
0: yeah so i think that there's a, a little bit of deception in the phrase copywriting because you are writing copy and you know absolutely that is the day-to-day you are a writer you know and if you're a copywriter you wear every hat you are a poet you are a songwriter you are a book writer you are all of all the kinds of writing you ever wanted to do you're going to do you are going to be writing scripts you are going to be writing films so you do have to be flexible in that way and you are a writer in that way and you know and copywriting is in the sense of advertising so you know, every commercial that you see in the, on TV was written by a copywriter. Every billboard that you see, if you see copy on a billboard, that was written by a copywriter. When you think of, you know, jingles, like I'm loving it or uh, just do it. Those are written by copywriters. So I think the, the, the difference between the definition of copywriting and the way I define copywriting is I think people think copywriters are just writers. And I think that's a mistake. I think For me, copywriters are creative people who just happen to express their ideas and their creativity through words. But I don't think my day-to-day job is writing. My day-to-day job is to come up with ideas and to come up with concepts and to come up with you know, uh, big platforms that are going to live as, that are going to be the way a brand shows up in the world. And that's what my job is. And I do that with a partner who is a creative who happens to express their creativity through visuals, right? Which is an art director. And that's what I think is a a copywriter is. It's, It's an idea person who just happens to write.
1: Wow. Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm fired up. Okay, so <laughs> if let's say anybody's listening to this right now and they're like, okay, this sounds interesting to me. This is an interesting career path. I don't really know, but everything that you've said thus far is intriguing. What advice would you share with them looking back on how to, how to get your foot in the door? If you enjoy writing communications and, and you might consider copywriting as a career path, but you don't have you know, the exact experience, um, you don't have those connections, like you said, um, is there anything that you did that really set you up for success to get your foot in the door?
0: Yeah. And I, I, I'll i say, I love this question because if someone would have pulled me aside in high school and said, Hey, there's a job called copywriting and you can do this kind of writing, this kind of writing, it, you know, you will make decent money. It is, you know, you'll be happy, you'll be able to be creative and still, you know, be successful, I would have done that in a heartbeat, but I didn't have anyone tell me that. So I think if anybody wants to be a copywriter, particularly and you know, getting into advertising, and I'm going to speak from a creative perspective, but I think just be creative. I think a lot of people get get bogged down with like, oh, I don't have a portfolio. Do I go to portfolio school? Personally, I do not, if you are a strong writer, I don't think you need to go to portfolio school. But I, you know, I would say, just be creative start just making things watch watch commercials and see if you can understand why it's written the way it's written or you know something that I did when I first started in advertising is I would watch ads that I really liked and then I would transcribe them and try to see well what was the insight that you know that created that advertising that created that spot so I would say look into, look into copywriting and see if it is a job that you want, because I will say, while it is fun and the industry itself is a, is a great place to work. It is very hard work. It is, there's a lot of hours that go into being a copywriter, you know, and I, and I think that people really think that they have to go to portfolio school and that they have to have a book and that they have to have all this stuff. But if you're just a writer and you are creative and you have ideas in your head and you're able to articulate those ideas on paper then you can be a copywriter. And, you know, that's that's the start that you need and you can probably get a foot in. And I think the other thing I want to say is if you mm. want to be a copywriter, do not apply on the website. <laughs> do not ever apply on the company's mm. website. I say this all the time and people laugh because you're like, well, how else am I going to apply? LinkedIn is a goldmine. It really is. And like I said, it's all about who you know. And if you want to be a copywriter, like go on LinkedIn, find type in recruiter advertising agency, find some of those people, write to them and start those conversations and see what comes from it because I don't think us I haven't I have not gotten a single job any of the jobs that I've had in advertising, I did not apply for them on a website. <laughs> That's just not a thing.
1: Wow. As you're connecting with people on LinkedIn, do you have any specific recommendations on what to say when you're trying to, to message somebody or connect with them?
0: Yeah. And I I think one, always write a note on LinkedIn, right? Because there's Mm -hmm. so many people who are just trying to connect with people to have more connections. So make sure that you're always, you know, obviously writing a note, but when you are, when you are writing a note, I think one thing that stands out for me is people who are trying to, who are clearly working out of self-interest, which I mean, come on, we all are, obviously. But if it feels like a you know, a two-way street, like there's some sort of give and take, like, hey, here's what I have to offer to this conversation. I see that you have this to offer to this conversation. Let's connect, you know, or, you know, be mindful of people's times. I think that's another thing is uh, don't write these super lengthy, I think, especially for writers. Writers love to, right (laughs) and you know it's very easy to get caught up in this very long intro just the quick versions of it you know give give them the cliff notes versions and if you can make it creative make it creative like every conversation you have with this person is a selling point for yourself so if you can go in with a super creative lead then do it show them from the top like from the get-go that you are a creative motherfucker and just do it
1: Yes, uh, that's good. I'm having the same reaction every time you answer my questions because I just like. <laughs> okay, love it, love it. Very tangible. Um, you've worked with some incredible brands, and just having the opportunity to pick your brain on this because I nerd out about this stuff. What would you say are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with the brands that you have? Um, what do you what do you think makes a really great brand?
0: I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that brands are businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's very easy as a creative person to say, to think about brands and brand stories and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, a brand is a business. And even if we're creatives, we have to learn to think about the business side of things. So, you know, when you're trying to sell a creative idea in, you can say, well, we should make this because it's awesome. But what you really say, what you should really say is, Well, we should make this because it's going to appeal to your audience and it's going to turn, you know, views to dollars and understanding the way that, you know, the financial side of business works and what makes brands money. I think that that makes create, like you can, I think the difference between a good creative and a great creative is understanding business. And I think a lot of us make the mistake of, you know, especially when we're more junior to overlook the business side and just be all creative, which is super important. Be creative, be creative as fuck. Like don't ever stop being creative, but it's super important to ask those questions. Listen, when your account, you know, when the people, the account people on your team are talking about budgets and understand the way those things work, because it just makes you so much more of a, you know, it makes you such a valuable creative. And I don't just mean this for big brands. I mean, I, you know, I own my own, I have my own uh, writing studio, the Oxford Comma Collective, and it, it's the same for the Oxford Comma Collective, right? I want to make beautiful creative shit, but I always have to say, okay, is this beautiful creative thing going to turn into sales? Is it going to turn into profit? Is it going to, you know, move my business purpose forward? And I think when you start thinking about it like that, you go from a good creative to a great one. And then as far as brands, you know, I think what to me makes a great brand is purpose. And, you know, when you used to think about Apple, I mean, most of us saw those like shitty little Apple computers when we were younger and, you know, in our schools that were all the different colors and you knew who Apple was, but they weren't Apple, the Apple that we know today. Right. Mm -hmm. Because. All of a sudden, Apple got a purpose. Apple had a purpose to revolutionize the way that we connected to each other. And then Apple became Apple. The same thing with Nike. Nike has been making shoes since my grandmother was born. You know, like (laughs) Nike has always been making shoes, but Nike became Nike when they found their purpose, when they started creating ads that weren't just talking about shoes and sports but really talking about that human purpose. So I think brands who really understand people and center their purpose around people are the ones that end up being great brands.
1: Mm. Okay, you said you weren't a poet and that was freaking poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, yes, all the love. I nerd out about this stuff. I'm obsessed with everything you shared and I feel like that's so it's so true especially growing up on the ground level in my career, I, the best parts about the industry that I'm in and the things that I'm interested in and the, and the classes I took in college, it was all about creative because there were no dollars at stake. Like when you're in school, when you're working on projects, when honestly, even when you're interning and you're just trying, you're there to explore and to learn, My I don't jump to clarifying the purpose and the payoff and you know the business value behind decisions that you make behind creative decisions that you make and yet when you're working for a business that that has a brand and your intentions to elevate that brand and amplify and extend it you need the creative piece that has to keep the momentum but you're not going to get anything done unless you're thinking about the business value and how you can how you can honestly like persuade the people around you to make the decisions that, that they need to make to connect with the right people.
0: I don't know if you agree with that, but that's been my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I absolutely, 100%, I absolutely, because the person who's gonna sign off on that work or who's gonna say, yeah, let's put $10 million behind that idea, is a person that isn't a person that's like, let's make it because it's awesome. It's a person that's going to say, let's put $10 million into into that idea because it's going to make us back $100 million. You know, like, so that's the person that you're talking to. And yes, they want to make cool stuff. But at the end of the day, what they want to make is money.
1: Yeah. Gosh, yes. And you need both, you know, like you wouldn't have the business. You wouldn't have the fun brand stuff if you didn't have the business (laughs)
0: keeping it afloat. Exactly. Um, That's capitalism, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you for all of your, your career background. Um, pivoting slightly, but, but still walking through your story. Give us an overview of Oxford Comma and, and specifically, what, what is the opportunity that you saw in, in your work and in the industry that inspired you to start Oxford Comma?
0: Yeah, so Oxford comma was born from a few places, right? The first, the first place was, I worked in advertising. The moment I stepped into my first job, I was like, whoa, this is very white, you know? And I don't think you, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a person that would tell you that advertising is not an, an industry that is dominated by white males, right? So that was, I think, my first, like, whoa moment i was like whoa this is this is this needs to change you know like there there should be more diversity here and then the other thing that happened was as a junior writer you know i'm gonna be real with you you don't make a lot of money (laughs) you know you you got to struggle you got to go through the struggle a little bit as a junior writer before you're making any decent money but you know i i loved advertising but i was like okay well i just moved to chicago I have to rent this one bedroom apartment by myself, rent ain't cheap, how do I make a little extra money, I had, you know, I had to pay student loans, and I had to pay rent, and I had to feed my dog, so I was like, what am I going to do, so I was like, well, let me freelance, you know, everyone, you know, if you're creative, you can freelance, that's great, and then I was just like, paralyzed, because I was like, I don't know what to charge, I don't know how to find uh, I don't know how to find customers. I don't know what to charge. Like I, I just didn't know. You know, it it was like this abyss of questions that I didn't have answers to, and it was so overwhelming that I was just like, forget it. I'll just I just won't do it. You know. And then the third thing was I was seeing all these friends of mine who are these like badass entrepreneurs who are like starting businesses and I knew the I know these women I know these women who were starting these amazing businesses and what they would do is they would eventually outsource their you know their writing and their design to someone more equipped than them to create it and it would come back and it would be beautiful it would be this beautiful you know beautiful these beautiful words and this beautiful design but the person that I knew was lost in there. Like I did not see my friend's personality in there. And it was because there is a standard of how branding is supposed to look and it's very centered around whiteness, you know, or it was, I I, I don't wanna generalize that now because I think things have moved, that needle has moved since then, but not very much. Um. So all these things came together and I said, well, what can I do? You know, how can I, how can I change that? And again, I think I'm a creative person who likes to solve problems and likes to express myself through words. So I said, well, how can I help writers, you know, champion diversity
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and, you know, help entrepreneurs of color not have work and brands that are whitewashed? So that's how I created Oxford Comma. So Oxford Comma is a collective of writers. What I do is I hire POC uh, disabled, queer, all kinds of writers we really have a diverse pool of writers and you know I, I pair them with entrepreneurs and with people to just help them find a voice and help give them a voice that's authentic to who they are and we try we try to have a really diverse pool of writers you know so we have, you know, there are Black women, and there are queer people, and there are Latinas, and I mean, it's just, we, the pool just keeps getting more and more diverse uh, with Oxford comma, and I think it's, it's beautiful, and it gives us that flexibility to work for anyone, you know, anyone who comes in, we have someone who understands you, who gets you, and like, that to me is invaluable, is having someone who just gets you, like, you tell them, this is my vision, and they're like, I got you. And then they put that shit on paper and then you see it and you're like, "Wow. It's like I wrote this." You know, and that's that's the feeling that we want to create for people with Oxford comma. And then the other aspect of Oxford comma is that we are a full-service writing studio. So, we're not just working with entrepreneurs, you know, like, "Yes, that is predominantly who we're helping we're helping Black women and latinas and queer entrepreneurs like you know run their businesses and and expand their businesses but what we also do is if if you're a maid of honor and you're a shit writer but you have to give this speech come to us we'll write it for you we're a bunch of people who love to write like give it to us if you want if you unlike me like poetry (laughs) <laughs> you know, and you need a poem written, come to us. We have poets. I promise it's not me. I won't write your poetry because, like I said, I hate it. <laughs> but there are you know, we have um, amazing, I mean, when I tell you the most amazing poets on staff, thank God, we have some of the most amazing talented poets on our staff that I'm just like, wow, if I I, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't even hold a candle to that kind of talent. But you know, just really, whatever it is, like, do you want to break up with your ex, like, do you want to break <gasps> up with your boyfriend? Hit us up, we'll write that tweet for you. Like we'll write that text, we'll write the tweet, like whatever it is. We we will write anything. We just love writing, and we just want to help people find their voices and say exactly what they want to say. So that's you know, that's why that's how Oxford comma was born.
1: Oof. What you just said, we just want to help people say what they want to say. Yes, everything you just said, like giving a voice to people, putting pen to paper and turning having somebody. brain dump this is what i'm trying to do in the world and you just slice right through it with words with and with phrases and writing that that you can hold these mementos that that represent businesses and brands and people and ideas it's so powerful and your mission is so incredible and i remember finding you on instagram and being like my gosh i just want to meet her so badly um so I'm, I'm I mean I'm I'm so excited that we had the chance to connect in this way and everything about Oxford comma is of course going to be linked below so shameless plug there um, <laughs> thanks for explaining explaining the context I think yeah. what it taps into is of course this broader story about the industry right I mean you're you're filling a gap because the gap exists so as you've explored in marketing and advertising you know showing up in this way. What do you see as the difference between tokenism and true inclusivity, specifically in this industry? And and what does that differentiation look like in practice?
0: I think tokenism is checking off a box, right? It's saying, well, we need to hire a person of color. Let's hire that person of color. That's tokenism because that is you just saying we need to fill a quota right? Inclusivity is when you hire that person of color, they have a seat at the table and they're, you're listening to their perspectives. You start to tell their stories. I think there's this thing in advertising that people like to talk about that's called the general market. And if we're being completely frank, the general market is another way for, is another way to say the white market, right? Which is bullshit to say that the general market is white. Yes. There are a lot of white people in America, so that is, you know, a big market. But if we talk about general market, the general market of America is diverse, you know, it's not predominantly white. So I think what happened, you know, when you start telling stories that speak to other people that are part of the actual general market, that's when it's inclusivity. You know, you just don't, you don't just have a Hispanic writer who is writing in, you know, and trying to fit into this box of whiteness you have a Hispanic writer who is writing from their Hispanic perspective and pushing to tell Hispanic stories and, you know, breaking those boundaries. That's true inclusivity.
1: If every business could just hear what you just said, I feel like the world would be changed. (laughs) And I remember, I mean, we were chatting a little bit before the recording and I remember you talking about I want to know that when I'm walking into a room, I'm there because you need my brain, my experiences and my soul there to make decisions and to help advise and to bring my full self into this conversation, not to be an extra body, you know, to say what everybody else is saying. And I I think that's so powerful and honestly a lesson in so many ways and in so many contexts is how do you show up as your full self? And how do you create a workplace and, and and change a workplace to allow that to happen? It's so powerful. And I feel like your organization, your collective is really moving the needle in that space. And I'm so excited to see what you all do. Um, if you had to explain your vision as you're building Oxford Comic Collective, or or even your you know, your future career, what, what do you hope to, to build with this community?
0: I think that the ultimate success or the, you know, the measure of success for me is getting rid of the term marginalized voices, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and I mean that with advertising, like, and i mean that with oxford comma i think we're championing marginalized voices we're championing the voices of black women of trans people of you know of the latinx community we're championing the, the voices of native americans and we're trying to do that but i think the goal is that we don't have to we don't want to have to call them marginalized voices anymore mm-hmm. we want to make sure that those people are being heard and seen at the forefront of the story that we're seeing on our television and i think that a revolution is happening right now where we are starting to see more of that. People are starting to see themselves more on TV screens and representation is so important. You know, we're starting to see ourselves in different rooms and in different places where we hadn't seen ourselves before. And those voices aren't as marginalized anymore. And we just wanna keep biting into that marginalization until it just doesn't exist anymore. And I think that that's, for me, you know I think there's still a long way to go, but for me Every little bit, every dent that we make in that, is just a you know a, a, another another step towards success.
1: Incredible, yes, incredible. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> so, starting to wrap wrap up now a little bit. Um, I love to just give give space for advice, and I feel like your story is such a testament to. You know, finding what what you need in life and, and creating it from the ground up and recognizing the opportunity for your life and seizing it, kind of the theme that I'm I'm gleaning from our conversation. What advice would you have for anybody who's who's facing a dream, whether it's a dream business, a dream career path, you know, a, a dream school to attend, um, and feeling maybe unequipped to tackle it?
0: oh we all have it we all feel unequipped sometimes to tackle that thing and I think what's helped me is learning to ask for help Mm. I think we all want to feel like we can do things I think we all feel that the moment we ask for help it suddenly makes us less qualified or makes us not as good but that's not true you are never going to be an expert at everything like I am not an expert at starting a business but I asked for help I reached out I Took tutorials, I looked to my friends who started their own businesses and I reached out. And this goes for advertising too. You know, for advertising, when I was looking for work, I would I started reaching out to people. And I think, and you know, I think specifically for children of immigrants, I think there is this narrative that we create in our heads because you know, my mother is an immigrant and she came here and she worked her ass off. Single mother with two daughters, two very young daughters. And she, you know, didn't speak the language, came here from Nicaragua, left her entire family, was totally alone. And she hustled. My mom was a hustler and she worked so hard. And I watched her killing herself and just working hard and doing everything to make sure that my sister and I had everything that we ever needed and that we never, you know, and somehow never, ever felt like our mom wasn't present. Our mom was always around. And just seeing your, our parents do that and never ask for help creates this sense of, well, if they didn't ask for help, how the fuck am I going to ask for help? Like, I should be able to do this. I was given all the advantages advantages, and somehow I'm going to ask for help. So I think we create this narrative in our head that we're not supposed to ask for help, but that's bullshit. And we need to stop telling ourselves that kind of tired old narrative that it's bad to ask for help. Ask for the help. Reach out to people. I think a lot of us think that people don't want to help, that people are inclined to say no, but especially in launching Oxford comma, I have found a community of of fellow entrepreneurs who just want to help each other, you know, who just want to put each other on and give each other advice and help each other out and say, Hey, you know, you know, what's a good idea, do this. And people, people are inclined to help you. And that's in my professional life. And with Oxford comma, I mean, asking for help has just kind of opened the open doors for me that I, I don't think would have ever opened. And I honestly don't think Oxford comma would have ever launched if I didn't just reach out to people and ask for help.
1: I love it. Yes. And it makes so much sense and it's so healing to hear, right? Like you can looking towards a dream is like what you're supposed to do. And I I fully believe like why we're here is, is to tap into our, our truths and to listen to what, what we're, we crave to change about the world and be forces for good. But what's the point of doing any of that if you're doing it all by yourself and, and doing it alone and doing it with a sole interest in mind? I love what you said. And I think it's so true. Like bringing people alongside you, going out of your way to connect with more people to get better at what you're doing um, can only help you get there. I love that. Yeah,
0: I, I will add that, you know, when you ask for help, When you do that reaching forward, it also makes you more inclined to reach back when you're in the position to help someone else out, Mm. you know, like someone helped me and now I want to help them. And that's why I think there are so many people who are willing to help when you reach out. And I, and I guarantee it's many more people than what we think it is. Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly from an entrepreneurial perspective is there anything that you learned through your experience building and growing Oxford comma that you wouldn't have expected when
0: you started yeah i think i think that and i i think i've, I've spoken about this on my oxford comma social media before but i think that there is an expectation that there are rules to having a, success, a successful business that there is some sort of outline that exists that will suddenly make you your business successful and if you pay the coaches and follow the outline then suddenly you will be successful and rich and make me six figures but that's not true right like what i have found that has ha- led me to success with oxford comma is being real to and being true to myself like there are some things that just don't cut it for me you know I, there are things that i see other entrepreneurs doing and that i think is amazing. And obviously it works for them. And, but that's, that kind of stuff just doesn't come natural to me. And I don't do that stuff. And I do see other businesses who, you know, are trying to follow a formula and I can see that they're struggling. You can see that they're trying to fit into a mold that isn't for them. And I kind of want to shake them and be like, just do whatever you want. Like people Mm. are drawn to authenticity. They are. And, you know, like, Going on, you know, I go on stories and I don't even brush my hair and I'm just like talking about real things that are authentic to me and I don't try to fit into a mold and I don't try to adhere to, you know, obviously I listen to, you know, other people's stories and advice, but if it doesn't serve me, it's never going to serve my business. Mm.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Any last advice? for aspiring copywriters, aspiring entrepreneurs, anyone looking to just build a brand or use words and branding to really make moves? What would you say?
0: Just know who you who you are. Know, know who your brand is. Know what it is you want to do. Find your purpose and then everything else will follow. Why do you want to write? Why do you want to start a business? If you have a purpose, a true purpose, I promise you will find success. I think a lot of people... Want to become writers just because they want to start businesses just because. And those are the people who don't find success. But I promise that if you have a purpose and there is a a reason that just fucking just drives you and it just burns inside of you every single day, because this shit is hard. Like people don't talk about how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, how hard it is to literally be a CEO and a writer and an influencer and a social media manager, all you know, and all these things at once. It's hard. And if you don't have that purpose, if you don't have that just burning fuel inside of you of this, you know, I want to achieve this thing, you won't find success because it'll be so easy to quit. But if you know your purpose, you know who you are, I promise you will find success.
1: Yes, Senya, I am obsessed. yes. Yes. If you listen to that, if you just take this episode and repeat it every morning, I think that the world would be changed. Thank you so much for this wisdom. I have absolutely adored our conversation. I do have a lightning round series of questions for you. Short and sweet. Um, I have three of them. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Dream brand to work with.
0: That's so hard. I've worked on so many cool, fun brands. I think right now my dream brand is Apple. Mm,
1: love it. Yes. Okay. Biggest grammar or copy pet peeve?
0: Oh my God. This is so funny. I love talking about this. It's Oxford commas. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> is that where the name comes from? Yeah. So the name is because to me, Oxford commas are not meant to be used all the time. They're they're this rare thing That you don't always need, but when you need it, you really need it. And I think that that's what professional writers are like. You don't always need a professional writer, right? But when you need one, you really need one. And that's how the name Oxford Comic came to be. So,
1: gosh, I love that. (laughs) Okay. And then, last question we ask every guest this what is a book, resource, or quote that you would leave our listeners with?
0: I think if I were going to recommend, a book and this is new honesty but I, I think especially if you're a woman and you are looking to find your voice and you are looking to to tell a story or anything I re- I recently read Know My Name and mm-hmm. it tells a very you know it's a very sad story from first from first person about the Brock Turner victim but what I think is so beautiful about the book is this idea of finding your voice and being able to own your voice. And I think that it doesn't matter professional or personal. It's just so important to find your voice and be able to express yourself and be able to just know who you are and know how you walk into rooms and how you want people to see you. Hmm.
1: And with that, we wrap the best episode ever. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
0: It was so much fun Chloe, thank you for reaching out and for asking me to be a part of this. I mean, this is amazing, so thank you.
1: In case you can't tell i'm kind of freaking out <laughs> that episode just spanned pretty much everything that i'm passionate about on a personal and professional level Yessie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast i'm a little bit starstruck i'm so excited to continue supporting everything you're doing with the oxford comma collective and in your career i hope we have the chance to connect again and maybe even work together in the future but for the time being i appreciate you coming on the podcast To stay in touch with Yesi and keep up with everything that Oxford Comic Collective is up to, we will have all the links below. You can check out their website, maybe even hire them for something, get involved or follow them on Instagram. We also have all the links below for how you can learn more about the Passages Project and what we're up to as a media project. We are truly, and I mean truly, on a mission to help you listening right now be able to tell your story and honor it as a young professional. So if you're interested, visit thepassagesproject.com and head to write to submit when you're ready. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you loved today's episode. I hope you all are having an amazing season with family, staying safe, socially distanced, and making the most of what this year has turned out to be. (laughs) Thanks again. I will see you on the other side.